And so anyway, that happened. And at the funeral, I'll never forget his brother, the way his brother spoke about him. And I thought to myself, because I had been struggling with depression and, and suicidal thoughts the year prior to that. And hearing his brother talk about him cemented in my heart like I will never do that to my family I just can't I will never do that to my family I don't care how bad it gets I have to figure this out so I decided in that moment okay I'm going to make a radical change here so decided to pick up all my bags move to California you know what am I supposed to eat how do you exercise and the easiest thing to do is just go outside and start running so I started running and I would run like almost every day because it also was helping me process the emotional grief of losing Liz Germain's life changed when someone very close to her took their own life. She made a snap decision to leave behind her home in Michigan and move to California, where she started her journey towards physical health. She began running and soon started to build a brand that has grown to over 150,000 YouTube subscribers. Hear why she decided to leave that phase of her life and move into a new one, building a consulting business to help other YouTube channels do what she did. The Founders Podcast. Listen to the stories of how everyday extraordinary people start amazing businesses. Hear how they overcome the odds and find success in the entrepreneurial world. The up and down, the good and the bad, and everything in between. And now, your hosts, Jordan Hansen and Brandon Minard. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Founders Pod. We are here in the United Commercial Insurance Studio live. I'm Jordan Hansen, and I'm here with my co-host, Brandon Miner. Hello, Brandon. Hey, Jordan. How you doing? Good. Good. We also have Liz with us, Liz Germain. Hi, Liz. Hello. It's really We're really glad to have you here, Liz. Um, you're going to hear a little bit more about what she does in just a moment, but it's kind of funny because Liz does a YouTube consulting. And she does a really good job. And actually, I'm a customer of Liz's. And it's funny because she was recommended to me by someone else. And I was going over to sign the contract. And in the address, it showed she was in Meridian, which was very close. And I was like, what the? This is weird. And so uh, as soon as that happened, I was thinking, okay, this would be cool. Really, what I was doing, Liz, to be honest, I was like, I want to invite her on the podcast, but I haven't seen her work yet. And I don't want to invite her if she sucks. <laughs> so, but you were good. You did a good job. And so you made it. I, you made it. <laughs> I cut. made it. You All made right. the cut. Um in fact, I released a video yesterday, and it was number one of 10. It was one of the videos you suggested in all of your formats. So of the last 10 videos, it did number one. You should feel good about that. Which video was it? It was the one talking about uh, best tools for web scraping. Yeah. You know, top five. The list, you know, the list always works really well. Very nice. So um, now, Liz, like I said, you currently, your current company is Bidfluence, and which is YouTube consulting, but you've also... Um, you're not just a marketing person. Before this, you had a YouTube channel that you grew to over 150,000 subscribers. Uh, it was your full-time job, and you did it with your sister. I think it's called Super Sisters Fitness. Fitness. I yeah. knew it. I just was <laughs> so it, close. <laughs> Super Sisters Fitness, and that YouTube channel is still running, but you're not currently uploading videos to that at this time. Correct. It's been almost a year now since I uploaded videos, but the channel still makes money. So that's what we like to do. <laughs> that's right. That's a good thing. Now, um, our parents, our mothers listen to this podcast and we try to help them understand what our, our visitors, our guests do. Can you explain kind of in short and mother language, 
like, you know, something they would understand for them, yeah, um, totally. what you do. Yeah, so we at Vidfluence, we help people grow profitable YouTube channels. And we do this organically, which means we're not paying for traffic. We are just creating clickable content that is relevant to specific types of viewers so that they actually click on the content, watch it, and become subscribers. And then from there, you can monetize it in all kinds of different ways. But the four main ones are selling programs, products, services that you offer. You can also do affiliate marketing. You can do brand deals and sponsorships once you start to build some traction. And then, of course, there's YouTube AdSense revenue, which is kind of what everybody thinks about when they think about making money on YouTube. But there are different strategies for different types of channels and different types of viewers and what they want and all of that. And YouTube is my passion and obsession, and I could talk about it all day, every day. So I'm super excited to be here. Awesome. Oh, it was good. In fact, we had our... our offboarding you know, or whatever the first call when you went through everything all the you had like tons of information for me and you knew a lot of awesome tricks that i've already like it was like almost too much for me to digest i have the page open i just every day I like look at okay what's next on the list you know a lot about youtube so we're really excited to learn more about that i have a few questions though revenue for a youtube channel do you think most of it i mean what percentage comes from ad revenue adsense and what percentage is from other deals do you think mostly in channels yeah um it's very hard to make blanket percentage statements like that because everything on YouTube comes back to the viewer. So I guess the way, the best way to answer this question is what is YouTube's goal as a business? And their goal is to be the most fun place to hang out, to learn. And people go to YouTube to be educated, to be inspired or to be entertained, right? So YouTube as a business, their entire algorithm is built to provide a positive experience for their users, the viewers. So when we're talking about splits between, you know, AdSense revenue and all that, it's going to depend and vary widely based on who your viewer is. When we're talking about, you know, how do I make more money on my channel from AdSense revenue specifically? Well, some of the top industries to do that are business, wealth building, finance, legal, tech, and even social media because that's what advertisers want to get in front of those audiences on, you know, like think about all the products and, and programs that are out there for that, especially in the marketing world. Right? So if you want really high CPMs to boost your AdSense revenue, that's, you know, choosing one of those industries is going to be probably the fastest path forward for you in that way. But let's say you are a local real estate agent and you don't care about the size of the channel. You just want to find more local customers that are trying to buy homes. That's going to be a totally different strategy. And you're probably not going to make really anything from your AdSense revenue. Uh, most of your money is going to come from, you know, leads and sales through your business, right? So different people, different needs. This comes back to what YouTube actually cares about, which is providing a positive user experience for their viewers. So they make more money through selling ad space. And the main two things that matter in the YouTube world from YouTube's perspective is relevancy and performance. So there's all sorts of things that you can do to get into, you know, the nitty gritty. But step one is figuring out who is my viewer and what do they care about? What are their needs in the realms of education, inspiration and, and entertainment? And how can I combine those things to make the most relevant content for them? So that not only my AdSense revenue goes up, but also my leads and sales go up and my partnerships go up and everything. Like you got to think about YouTube as it's almost like the nurture content, right? It's where you build meaningful relationships with people. So it may not be an instant return, but it's helping to build the brand over the long haul. So we always say YouTube is, you know, go to the YouTube organic space when you're ready to actually build a brand. Interesting. It sounds like you've put some thought into that. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I have a couple questions, and I don't want to get too deep into the weeds, but uh, when you hear TikTok, you do you, do you work with TikTok currently, or is it just YouTube? Just YouTube. Okay. And it will always be just YouTube. Always be just YouTube. <laughs> Are you a TikTok I have hater? strong thoughts on TikTok. Yeah. So, no, I'm not. But I do study it quite a bit because, obviously, trends and changes in the video landscape are important to YouTube. Um, so my general thought over TikTok specifically is that it is a platform for video memes. That's all it is. Like, if you think about it, that's what TikTok is. It's taking meme culture that has had a massive rise over the last three to five years. And by the way, this is also how Gen Z, they purely communicate in memes. <laughs> like, yeah. if you hey. know anyone, Gen Z or younger, they only communicate in memes. And that's like, it's built into their culture. Yeah. And what TikTok did was take that and basically give people a platform to create video memes out of it. So, um, you know, I have strong thoughts about TikTok. However, YouTube is, you know, obviously they're very smart and they have, they're backed by Google. They're owned by Google. And those people just spend all day, every day looking at data and making optimizations and improvements on all these things. And so they are investing quite a lot right now into YouTube Shorts. YouTube Shorts, right. Which I truly believe is going to give TikTok a strong run for their money. It was kind of like, you know, TikTok had this massive rise. <laughs> and everybody's like, uh-oh, YouTube's dead. It's like, no, no, no. I will always bet on myself first. And I will always bet on Google second. <laughs> and now we're starting to see some of those shifts start to come to play. Okay, question about your services with Vidfluence. So have you, are you familiar, I'm sure you've seen the past, where a program takes a really scrawny, tiny person and then builds them up to be a high performer and whatever that is, whatever, like, like Hitch, the movie Hitch, right? It helps people. So potentially this person that's not very refined can get a date with somebody really pretty. Does that make sense? Okay. Do you do that with Vidfluence where you take YouTube channels or brands that are really kind of puny and then build them up really high? <laughs> That's yeah. all we do. Okay, cool. So like, <laughs> well, what are you trying to say? So like the founders, scrawny guy? no, 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 no. Like the founders pod. So yes. the tiny scrawny person, you could just like turn us into the biggest, well, best dateable we, we have to get a podcast ever in here. Best dateable podcast. <laughs> all the other podcasts. I'm just saying like, it would be a really good project for that. Yes. <laughs> anyway, I'm just joking. Okay. Um, Liz, where are you from? Originally from Ann Arbor, Michigan. I was going to say, you're, you, when you called earlier, you're Ann Arbor, Michigan. I, I assume because you were from California originally or previously. Anyway, Ann Arbor. Great. Ann Arbor. So University of Michigan fan. Big fan. Okay. Really? Okay. Yep. Is that where you spent most of your childhood? All of it. For All the most of it. Part, yeah. Okay. So you grew up in Ann Arbor and you have a, a large family? Uh, I have two sisters and my parents who are still together. One of the rare few, gotcha. <laughs> very Midwestern okay. values yeah. that I grew up with. Are you and older, younger than your sisters? I'm right in the middle. Gotcha. Middle child. So super sisters, all three. I thought it was only one other sister that you're working with. It was just one. Yeah, yeah, did the other sister kind of feel left out? Uh, no, she's very different from us. And she kind of like left the family. I mean, she didn't really leave the family, but she was like, yeah, I don't think you guys understand me. And so she went off and she's been doing her own thing for a long time. I see. So she had middle child syndrome. <laughs> before you did or yeah. like not, or yeah, she just took that from me. okay cool so. yeah sure so what was that like growing up in ann arbor uh it was interesting i would say it was a full spectrum of confusing questions that i had of like why are we here you know you're uh, in a college like being in a college town well more so <laughs> like why are we here when it gets so cold every year like, oh, i see like when i started to travel my 
I love my parents. They, they gave me a really good upbringing and they would take us once a year because, you know, Michigan cost of living is like super low. I understand all these concepts now as an adult too. I'm like, oh, no wonder we could go on those vacations <laughs> because, you, you know, Michigan is a pretty affordable place to live. And once I started seeing more of the world and we would go to tropical places, you know, we'd go every winter. And my, my parents were big fans of cruises because then they could kind of leave us alone and, you know, they know we weren't going to go anywhere or fall off the boat, hopefully. Um, and once I started to see more of the world, I was like, wow, people actually live here. Like, you can actually live on the beach. And as I got older, I started to ask them, I'm like, why are we still in Michigan? This is very confusing. Like, we could go anywhere else. And as I've gotten older, obviously, it makes more sense because the cost of living, whatever. Um, but Ann Arbor is a really, really great place to grow up. It, they call it the melting pot of Michigan um, because the university is there. There's people coming there from all over the world. It's very brilliant, very smart people. So um, I also went to the biggest high school in Michigan. Um, we had, we actually had an overcrowding problem. They ended up building a secondary high school after I graduated, but I went to school in high school with like over 4,000 other students and we had each person, you know, each grade had like a thousand to 1200 people per grade. And, you know, it was like the true like high school experience. There was all the little cliques and groups and it was a, you know, it was a strange experience for me because I don't understand when people go into groupthink or cliques or like that whole belonging thing. It never really was like top priority for me. So I feel like on the one hand, I struggled to find my people. But on the other, I was like stoked because I got to hang out with the orchestra nerds one day and then the, you know, the sports people another, you know, another day. And it was just, it was a lot. And I got exposed to a lot of culture really early on from a lot of different types of people who think and grew up very differently and have different values and all of that. And I think that is a strong part of why I am the way I am today, where my main life question is, why do people do the things they do? And that's a question that I've always been fascinated by. And I didn't realize how much that would help me later on in my adult years as now a YouTube consultant, because that's all that I really do is try to figure out why, what will get the click what will keep people engaged, what matters to people, and why do they do what they do? And how can we step in to help, you know, I don't want to say manipulate because that kind of has negative connotations, but how can we start influencing in a positive way what they're choosing to do with their time? So, yeah, I love Ann Arbor, but awesome. I wouldn't live there again. What do your, what'd your parents do? Did they work for the school? Huh. No, my mom, my mom actually has been in the healthcare space for a really long time. And my dad was an entrepreneur. He had his own custom home building company. So it was very interesting because I got to see the contrast there as well between here's what the nine to five corporate lifestyle looks like. And here's what the entrepreneur lifestyle looks like. And I always had that kind of opposed lifestyle choices there right in the home. So I got to see the pros and cons of both sides. Um, but yeah, my dad's now retired. My mom will be retired soon and they now actually move to Idaho. So they are local as well. Oh, bring it on. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So then growing up, did you work for your dad's company at all? Cleaning up home yeah. sites or what were your jobs? Sure did. Yeah. Every time, uh, the showcase of homes would roll around to Southern Michigan, they, he would recruit us as little helpers. So <laughs> I don't want to say this was like real work, but basically what we would do is stand at the doors of these showcase homes and hand out tickets and the little booties because you have to put those blue booties over your, if you've ever seen like yeah. a house showing. So we'd hand those out and, you know, make sure that things were staying tidy and things like that. Um, but beyond that, you know, I didn't really get to 
too much more involved in the business side of things. Because it was very, like, you know, he was working with, like, these big, burly men on construction sites, and that's a very not-so-safe place to be for So he didn't have you guys do the framing (laughs) and the drywalling? No, no, no. no. But he did teach us a lot of basic construction skills. Like, I know how to do crown moldings. I can replace you know, all kinds of stuff in the house. And I know how to run power tools. And that actually was really surprising when I moved to California because the men out there that I was meeting, like they didn't even know how to start fires. And I'm like, this isn't going to work for me. (laughs) (laughs) If I'm going to be lighting the fires and changing the light fixtures and, you know, repairing the house, like, okay, I'm, I would like to leave this. Yeah. (laughs) A little different for sure. Did you have any other jobs outside of that? Or what, what was your first job that you can remember outside of your of your dad's construction company? My very first job, I think I was 15 years old. Or do you have to be 16 to legally work? I don't know. I was in my teens. My very first job was working at Claire's, the jewelry store. And I just loved it because I loved all the accessories. <laughs> I was like, oh, I'm going to get a discount. And I look back and I'm like, wow, that was, that was a tough job. They used to put me, because I was the new girl and I was also the youngest, they'd put me on the discount bins. So I'd be in the back sorting out tangled jewelry for like four hours, <laughs> whatever people just threw in there. And you were fine with that? You were just like, this is great? Yeah, because I got the discounts. No, really. You're like during the moment though, you weren't like, oh, this sucks. I guess I get the discount. But no, you remember it. You have fond memories of Claire's. Yeah, I do actually, which is funny. I think at the same time, too, I also, you know, the candy bar sales that you would do in high school. I did that, too. And my friend and I, uh, we decided to partner up because we're, like, better together, right? So (laughs) we got really smart. And the high school that I went to is literally across the street from the University of Michigan football stadium. And so we got really smart with it. And we're like, all right, well, because we tried going door to door, you know, doing that whole thing. And it was really hot. And it took a lot of time. And we didn't get very good results. We were like, where are the people that are actually going to want to buy these candy bars? We're like, let's go to the tailgates. Because the tailgates would always be hosted in the big, we had a huge parking lot because we had such a big high school. So they would always be hosted in the parking lots over at the high school. And people would just walk across the street to get to the stadium. And so once we started that, we started making big, big money with candy bars. <laughs> and it was like, all right, we hit the jackpot, but we didn't tell anybody else. That's what we did. Of course. So she would take one advantage. lot. Yeah. yeah, she would take one lot and I'd take the other lot. And we would just, every weekend, we would just go and just get as much as we could. That's funny. So young Liz already showcasing her advertising prowess yeah. at an early age. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> the candy bar queen. Now, what were what were your motivations financially? What what were you doing with your money? Were you like, sweet, I want more Claire's jewelry? <laughs> uh, oh, man. But I don't even know. What was I doing with my money back then? I don't think I, you know, I, I don't know. I, real estate, probably. Yeah, no, I wish. <laughs> <laughs> I wish, you know, with all my, I wish my parents had kind of instilled some of those things at a younger age because I'd be already retired by now. But um, I don't know. I was a child at the point at that time. I probably was just, you know, saving up for college things or for whatever I was maybe thinking I would do. I don't know. I was, I also went through kind of a dark chapter in high school too. And wasn't really thinking like that. Um, No, this is interesting because you just said I went through a dark chapter in the same theme of we were asking where you did with your money. (laughs) I mean, what, what does a dark chapter have to do with your money? Were you doing something bad with your money i mean yeah i mean spending it on maybe not so great things okay you know like uh i don't know how pg this podcast not is, so great things we got yeah, it. maybe yeah. like uh, some illegal substances and gotcha. things like that uh you know and it wasn't it wasn't great recreation but I, is what you're 
Yeah. 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 Actually, when I, as an adult, I can look back on it now and be like, it was escapism. Sure. Because I didn't really understand where I fit in in that school. Um, and I was like, why are people so mean to each other? I didn't understand that either. And so then it started to like build these hopeless feelings. I was like, well, let's just have fun for right now, you know? And yeah, probably made some questionable choices back then. Well, I know for sure I made questionable choices. (laughs) So then it sounds like you moved to California. Were you, did you go to college in Michigan and then move out or what were your plans when you graduated? Yeah, so this is kind of like maybe I should just tell you guys the dark chapter and kind of what happened there because it is critical to why I left Michigan and decided to move to California. So I'll give you the cliff notes. Um, the guy that <laughs> – this is funny. I don't often talk about my high school days on interviews like this, so this is exciting because this is the real stuff. This is like what real made stuff. me – Yeah, it's what yeah. made me who I am. So in high school, I met this guy who was a little bit older than me. He didn't go to my school or anything, and we started dating, and this was actually – he became my high school sweetheart – um, and went to prom together, did the whole thing. And then he got, uh, I guess, cold feet or something. And he decided to move away. He was like, Hey, I, I have to move and we need to break up. And I was devastated. This was like one of my first big heartbreaks. I was so sad. I didn't understand at all. Pretty much begged him not to go and all that. And, but he did go and we broke up and I went off to college in uh, at a school in Michigan for about a year. And, um, about I want to say like four or five months later, I was starting to move on. I kind of rationalized it in my head because I'm like, well, I'm going off to school. I'll meet new people. Like, I'm going to get through this. And um, he probably about, you know, four months later reached back out and said, hey, I think I made a mistake. I want to come back. Um, And I was like, well, at this point, I've kind of already moved on. And then, um, but I'm happy to like, you know, see you, get lunch, catch up, whatever. So we did. We caught up. And then about a week later, I got a phone call from a mutual friend who told me that he shot himself. So that I still remember it vividly to this day. I was in my dorm room and got the news and I like collapsed on my bed. And I was like, I just couldn't believe it. You just had had lunch with them a week ago. Yeah, like six days before. And I couldn't believe it. And obviously they like put the funeral together and all that. And for some reason, I'll never understand why they did this. The family chose to make it an open casket funeral. And you can imagine with like a bullet in your head, it was just very, very Uh, uh, graphic. Yeah. Very graphic, very traumatic, very also, uh, how do I say this? It was like a deep spiritual lesson. Cause I had been struggling, you know, the last year or two prior to that with, you know, just not really understanding what, what's the point, what's the point of life? (laughs) You know, like, well, everybody's mean to each other. Like, this doesn't make sense. Why are we even here? You know, I had a lot of those thoughts because my brain just is always going. And so anyway, that happened. And at the funeral, I'll never forget his brother, the way his brother spoke about him. And I thought to myself, because I had been struggling with depression and, and suicidal thoughts the year prior to that. And hearing his brother talk about him cemented in my heart, like, I will never do that to my family. I just can't. I will never do that to my family. I don't care how bad it gets. I have to figure this out. And I was not living a very healthy lifestyle at the time. Um, Didn't really have, you know, my parents are great as far as like stability and support and things like that. But for health and fitness and all of the stuff that, you know, creates the endorphins in your brains and helps balance, imbalance chemistry like that, they didn't really instill those values into us or lifestyle habits. So I decided in that moment, okay, I'm going to make a radical change here. I'm going to figure this out because I don't really have another choice at this point. 
So decided to pick up all my bags, move to California. My parents didn't believe I was moving to California at the time. They were like, okay, good luck. <laughs> and I was like, no, I'm seriously leaving because also the memories of all of that really were haunting me. I was like, I have to get out of here. I feel like I'm being haunted by his ghost everywhere that I go and I'm going to figure this out. So I moved to California, invested heavily into health, fitness, and nutrition education. Um, I started Is that running. Out of college? Like this was, uh, I transferred. So I went from, I was at Eastern Michigan University the first year of college, and then I transferred, went to community college for a year, and then transferred again to UC Davis. So I graduated from UC Davis, but it was a journey to get there. And in that transition of moving out there, I was like, okay, I got to figure this out. You know, what am I supposed to eat? How do you exercise? And the easiest thing to do is just go outside and start running. So I started running and I would run like almost every day because it also was helping me process the emotional grief of losing. Did you have guilt? Did you feel some guilt? Of course. I still feel guilt to this day. Um, You know, I did a lot of therapy and therapists are always like, oh, it wasn't your fault. And I'm like, yeah, but I played a role, you know? Sure. So, um, yeah, definitely still feel guilt. But at the, the end of the day, like, you know, that is a personal choice and it can't be put on anyone else because it is what it is. But um, moved to California, started studying fitness and nutrition. And now, what were you studying? Sorry, what were you studying before? Um, in school, my degree is actually in anthropology. So that's what it was at Michigan or even at yes. UC Davis as well? Yeah, so I didn't know what I wanted to do when I went into college. It was just like the thing that you're supposed to do. So I was like, okay, well, I'm going to just take a few classes, see what happens. And my favorite classes were the anthropology classes and the psychology classes because, again, I'm fascinated by why people do what they do. So I was like, well, these are the most interesting ones. I guess I'll just you know move into this direction. I actually originally went to college thinking I'd be an interior designer, and I started taking, I took a couple classes to like move forward on that track. And it was like three times a week for four hours each drawing baskets as the prereqs. And I was like, I'm not going to make it there. <laughs> so my other favorite classes were anthropology. And uh, I just kind of moved forward with that thinking like, oh yeah, that'll be cool. Like I could become a little, you know, uh, little explorer, go out there, study the world and do, do research. Like that sounds good. Okay. I'm embarrassed to ask, ask this. Study of people. Anthropology is the study of people and cultures, right? It's the study of all people in all places at all times, pretty much. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, that is good to know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's where you're going. So your I mean, that's kind of what you do. Right? Your degree is not in anthropology, Brandon. Mine is not in anthropology. Oh, okay. No. In fact, I just learned what that was just thirty just seconds. Now. Oh, okay. So. No, it's for the viewers, the uh, the listeners. Yeah. Just so our listeners know, anthropology means. <laughs> Yeah, so I moved out to California, and while I was, you know, working on my degree, I also got healthy, and the easiest thing to do was run. So I started running all the time, and then I started getting overuse injuries, and my knees were hurting, my hips were hurting, and I didn't understand. So that's when I was introduced originally to Shalene Johnson, who is still a good friend and mentor to this day. It's cool to say that she's a good friend now, and I could tell you that story, too, the moment that we actually, like, met in person. Her, she holds the Guinness World Record for being the fitness star in the most fitness videos of all time. Really? Yeah. So she was, uh, she used to be a trainer, one of the like celebrity trainers for Beachbody. And um, I, I found her DVDs because I was like exploring different workout styles and all that. And I kept hearing people talk about P90X, P90X. Like if you want to do fitness, you got to do P90X. And I was like, okay, I'll try P90X. But 
also with Beach Body Products, they had Shalene Johnson, and I liked her style so much better. It was like very fun, very positive, uplifting, and was doing that and basically like hanging out with Shalene every day, watching her videos, right? Like doing the workouts with her. And she was the first trainer that ever made it seem like fitness is supposed to be fun. Like, how do we make this more fun? Before that, I was, you know, watching DVDs with like Jillian Michaels, who like, she'll just like yell at you and tell you how you're not good enough. And Shalene's a total polar opposite. So I really liked that. And um, not only did Shalene incorporate, you know, the physical movements you were doing, she would incorporate like self-development tips. She would talk about, she'd randomly put something in there like, my first mentor, Brian Tracy, you know, this is what I learned from him. So don't forget, you know, and I was like, who's Brian Tracy? And so I started to be exposed to these personal development experts too, through the process of learning health and fitness. And yeah, basically after I graduated, didn't really know what, to, what I was going to do, moved to San Francisco because I was up at UC, UC Davis at this time, moved to San Francisco because I figured, well, there's probably more opportunity over there. Um, I ended up getting a job at a mini cupcake bakery along with a Pilates studio. Wait, wait, we got to pause. So we're <laughs> not pause the recording, but I want to know how much into fitness were you before? Not at all. As in, like, you didn't do any sports even in high school? I did play sports, but the main sport I played in high school was lacrosse. And I actually, second year in, decided I'm going to be a goalie because the goalies don't have to run. So you didn't like running at all? No, hated it. That's a pretty drastic change. Yeah. For anyone who ever has tried to work out, which is most people in the world, a lot of them is, I mean, you can't really, like, ah, I'm going to do this. Most people try for a couple months and then that's it. You were just like sudden change that that was that whatever happened in Michigan, that event, whatever emotional feelings you had, it was enough to just completely done swing completely the opposite way. Yeah, this is it now. Yeah. I mean, seeing the love of your life was what you thought. Right. Dead in front of you. It's it's very rattling experience. It could change a lot. Mm -hmm. And it did change a lot. It literally changed my entire life. So, yeah, I went from like hey, let's never exercise because why would we do <laughs> then building this huge community, helping other women figure out how to take care of themselves. So Now, you come to San Francisco, and this is funny to me too because you got a job at a mini cupcake bakery. I did. And a Pilates so studio, you, which are kind of com contrasting. Well, you have this, yeah. the devil and an angel That's on one right. shoulder yeah. at all times. <laughs> cupcake Pilates. Yeah. Hmm. yeah, yeah. people would say that too. And when I was meeting people at that time, they are like, that's odd. Those are two opposing things, but I'm also Gemini. So I've, like, I, I have a wide spectrum and I like when things are, I like variety. So anyway, I, yeah, I got this, a friend of mine opened up a mini cupcake bakery and he was looking for workers and I was available. So I was like, I'll do it. And then I got this job at the Pilates studio. And at a certain point after about, I don't know, a year and a half, I was like, okay, I should probably pick one and like go deep instead of so wide because <laughs> at this point I'd done like a thousand different things. And um, I found out about the fitness leadership program at UCLA. So UCLA actually puts on a really phenomenal program for people that want to become group fitness instructors and personal trainers. It's a year-long program where you have both practical and theoretical training. And then once you're complete with that and you graduate and you get all your certifications, then you have the opportunity to work at UCLA's John Wooden Center. So I was like, okay, I'm going to go do that. So moved to LA, did that program, um, ended up completing it. And then I worked for UCLA for about two and a half years, I want to say. And that was the time where my sister, my sister kind of followed in my footsteps. Um, she actually was going to UCLA at the time. 
And so we kind of partnered up and in our free time, that's when we started posting content on Instagram. We started a blog and that's when we started to really build that stuff up. I'm thinking the year here. So it's got to be 2009. It was right around 2012. 2012. Okay. So it's been a couple of years since. So 2012. So YouTube was pretty big, but I mean, it was big, right? But not even close to what it is now. Like back then we thought it was big. In 2012, you thought YouTube, we all thought YouTube was big, but... It's still grown immensely. It was quite big. This was actually right when Instagram was starting, Mm -hmm. right? So we were able to grow a pretty big audience on Instagram really quickly because we put effort into our content. You know, now at this point, you got to think about all the skill sets, right? (laughs) It's like I have styling experience. I have baking experience and a lot of what we did and part of how we grew that audience was we would create healthier alternatives to foods that people crave like mac and cheese or pizza like we'd we'd show them how to make it healthy because that's something that we had to learn and teach ourselves because you know those cravings have still to say they don't they don't go away like I love a pizza right now but like hey can we make it ourselves and just make it a little bit healthier so it's not stacked in cheese and grease and all this really bad stuff and it's and still make it taste delicious so that was a lot of what we did in the beginning I don't know how you do a Detroit-style pizza. And then, you know, growing up in Ann Ann Arbor, Detroit-style pizza would be probably the thing, right? Am I... Oh, probably Chicago deep dish. Oh, is what Chicago you're deep dish. Yeah, gotcha. <laughs> I was like, I was like, well, maybe. Detroit style is similar because it's got like a thick crust, and then the sauce is. Is on there top. really a Detroit style? I don't think there is a it's, Detroit style. It's Chicago it's deep Chicago dish. It's Chicago style. Yeah. I'm gonna challenge both of you on that. Get back to us. I'm gonna get back to you. I know that. Uh, yeah, I but mean, the deep dish, but the same thing. If only there was someone in this Midwestern. room who grew up in Michigan. <laughs> <laughs> it's impossible to know. We'll literally never, we'll never. know. There's, it's, there's no way of finding out. There's no authority figure here that could possibly. But certainly going from that. like Midwestern pizza to, yeah. I guess, California Pizza Kitchen. Well, you know what I mean? Well, yeah, that's different. sort of like step one. But then eventually like, <laughs> you get a cauliflower crust. Yeah, yeah, we were making cauliflower crust and doing the whole thing and. All that. Yeah. Now, so 2012, your sister was into fitness before or she kind of, again, followed in. This is your younger sister. My younger sister. Yeah. So she saw my fitness transformation and she saw how much I was running and she kind of like picked up and followed in my footsteps, literally started running too. And then she, she was actually, I think she was 22, I want to say. And she ended up running so much training for all these marathons all the time that she got super, super skinny, like unhealthily skinny. And then she also ended up needing hip surgery at age 22 because of the overuse. And she got hip surgery. She was off feet for like a month. And in that time, she felt really sad that she couldn't go run while she was seeing me still go run. And she said something to me one day and was like, hey, can can we like figure out something where I don't feel so bad watching you go do the thing that I, this is the only thing I want to do? Hell like, yeah, you should not be running this much anymore, Sarah. Like, let's let's figure something out. And so that's when we started looking into P90X and strength training. And we learned like this whole other world of fitness that was available that was much healthier and better for functionality of the body versus just doing constant cardio and not actually having the muscle mass to support the joints, which is how she had this ligament tear and needed surgery at age 22, which is crazy. Looking back, it's like a whole different lifetime at this point. Interesting. So yeah, my wife's a big runner, but you're you're saying that running is not the problem. The problem is exclusive running. Correct. Yeah. If you're not also strength training that you run the risk of, you know, slamming into your joints because every time your foot hits the ground it's like four to five times your body weight of force being shot up into your joints so if you don't have the the muscles there to support those joints you can run into some problems especially over time it's called an overuse injury 
Okay, so this is when you started doing... Now, that's got to be kind of intimidating doing YouTube, I would think. Now, what made you think, okay, I think we can do this. Why did you think you could do this? Well, at the time, um, I don't know if you guys maybe don't know women's fitness, but we watched, some, you know, we were exploring all these different options, whether it's Celine or Tony Horton or whoever. And one of the other people we were exploring was uh, t the Tone It Up girls. And we saw how quickly they grew a business. And we were like, wow, if they can do it. I mean, were they on YouTube? Again, Brandon, YouTube, do you yeah. know Tone It Up girls? I don't know Tone It Up girls. So we don't know women's fitness. No, <laughs> sorry. The verdict is in. Yeah. yeah, so we saw the Tone It Up girls and a couple other people that had like these rapid rises to moving into full-time work um, on their own stuff. And we were like, well, I mean, if they can do it, why can't we? And also, if it doesn't work, whatever, we'll just, you know, not do it. But like, we can't not try. Like, why don't we just try and see what happens? And so we did. And yeah, that's kind of how we just saw other people doing it. We were like, if, if them, why not us? You know? Oh, that's an interesting attitude to have because sometimes you see people that grow so quickly on uh, online platforms. I've never really attributed it to, yeah, I can do that. Or, you know, I just never think, really. Brandon? What do you think? About what? When you see that, if you're, if you're not. I'm trying to think, uh, like, dude, perfect. Yeah. I'm like, oh, that's such an easy concept <laughs> if you commit your life to it, right? But it takes an incredible amount of work. And everything, I guess it's just that your motivation and drive and what you want to do. And it sounded like Liz was really motivated to, to go into that space and really, you know, pave her career in that, right? Yeah, I guess also, let me clarify this, because that wasn't the real motivation behind why we did it in the beginning. Mm -hmm. That was like kind of like a year or two in. We were like, yo, well, yeah, I mean, yeah, after we had made a, a couple ebook sales, our first product ever was a Valentine's, uh, a Valentine's Day healthy desserts ebook. We sold it for $10. And we made a couple hundred bucks and we were like, oh, wow, we can actually make money doing this. And Wait. then we had that transition. Cool. So you just like wrote an ebook out of nowhere? Just like no audience? You're just like, we do this. No, no. <laughs> so let me clarify. So the first year we solely focused on content. Like we, we didn't realize what we were doing at the time. We were just putting out stuff we thought would help. Like blogs. You're just uh, writing blogs. Blogs uh, for recipes. Um, also at the time, remember I was working at UCLA and a couple other gyms in the area including a PT clinic. I had, I had like four or five jobs at this time because LA is expensive and I was scraping by on a personal trainer, uh, pay, right. pay scale. So <laughs> I had a few different jobs all around LA, including UCLA. And, um, the people that would come to my group fitness classes, they would come up after and they would ask me all these questions. And I'm like, this is just like, I should just create a resource for you guys so that you, the same questions you ask me every week, I, I can just send you there. It was like early automation, you know what I mean? No, yeah. <laughs> early, that's early. a, yeah. You can see the need at repeated questions. You can, yeah. Totally. Right. So um, my sister was having the same experience at, she worked at a triathlon training center. And so we decided, we built a website, how to figure all that out. Everything we've done is in the beginning was self-taught. Figured out how to build a website, started posting blogs, and then, you know, created these social media accounts. Originally, the core desire was to make it easier for people to get resources to help them get healthier easier so you Did know you think about money at all we think maybe we can make money off this we thought maybe maybe we could because we saw these other people that did it um but we had tone up idea. girls yeah the tone i know them really well if they can do it yeah um we thought maybe and why not give it a shot but the original intention behind it and i think this actually played into why that brand grew to the size that it did is that we actually just genuinely cared we didn't want people to go especially other women um, at the time, this was brand new Instagram, right? The first couple of years of Instagram, all the fitness content we were seeing was like greased up, like almost like softcore, you know, nudity shots and 
basement gyms and we're like that just doesn't speak to us like we're normal midwest girls and can we make this fun like how Shaleen did for us because it changed our lives so it didn't seem authentic is what you're saying well it just wasn't for us I'm sure there's audiences I know for a fact there's audiences out there that that appeals to um but for us we were like nah we don't want to do it that way so and we actually sat down I was telling my my partner this the other day we sat down and I think this was year two and we were like we could grow a lot faster if we showed more skin and we had a conversation about that and we both decided you know yeah no that's just not us and we don't want to have to do that. That's interesting you have to have that discussion. But it's real. I mean, you see a lot of platforms where yeah. women make that choice to or not. That's interesting. We decided not to because it just was too deeply against our values. So, yeah. Anyway, originally it started to provide additional resources outside of just the workout class or the training session that we were doing with people to help them make their lives easier. And then about a year in, all we did that first year was just create content and figure out the tech side of things, right? Like the, how do we Is that like WordPress? Uh, yeah. We use WordPress. Still all right. big WordPress fan. Mm-hmm. Go WordPress. Um, and then eventually we decided, okay, let's try to do this ebook. Cause we saw the tone it up girls were always selling these meal plans and ebooks and whatever. This was like in the beginning of the digital marketing world where ebooks actually were still very viable and very profitable. So, but we made so many mistakes. Oh my God, looking back, we should have sold it for at least 20 bucks, like sell for double and then push them into something else, you know, like all the things I know now, but we sold this ebook for 10 bucks. I think we made like a couple dozen sales and we were like, okay, let's try something else. And so we put together a workout program and it was a six week online boot camp, so to speak. And we're basically like the same plans we were giving to our actual in-person clients. We just wrote it up into Google Docs essentially. And we sold that. We were hoping to get 10 women enrolled into it. And we ended up having over 350 women that signed up from all over the world. There were people How'd from- How'd they find it? From Instagram, from our blog. Because you had the, yeah, okay. So you had been building a list and also Instagram followers. And so you're able to promote it there. Like what size are we talking? Are we talking like hundreds or are we talking tens think, of thousands? Yeah. I think at that point, this was year, early year two, because we launched it in April. Is that 2014 or is that 20? Probably 2013. 2013. Okay. Yeah. We launched it in April because it was uh, originally framed as like a back to the beach challenge. And I think we, at the time, I think we had almost 10,000 people on our email list. Not bad. Um, And so, and then I think our Instagram was probably like 20 or 30K followers, somewhere in there. Still relatively small, but we put that out. We were like, look. You said 10. I mean, did you have videos in this course, by the way? Uh, No, this was pre. All text. It was all text. Pictures maybe? Yeah, there was a PDF and then we had a Facebook group community. And it just walked them through the calendar. And then we had people post their updates. Uh, we were smart in the first time we launched this. We got a couple sponsors. We reached out to a, f- a couple companies and said, hey, we're going to do this challenge. We know that your product is exactly what they would want. Would you be willing to give us some prizes for winners? Like, it's not going to cost you anything. Just give us product and we'll we'll make sure we're going to pick three winners at the end of this. Um, people that had the, the best transformation, you know, the most meaningful transformation, not just from the physical aspect. Cause that's, again, that was like, we stood for like holistic health. So, um, yeah, we got a couple brands to sponsor and do giveaways and all that. And yeah, it was pretty basic. It was just a PDF plan that, you know, these 300 women all decided to do together. And then they were there able to support one another, uh, from a lens that made sense to them, which was, you know, not the greased up 
basement gym photo shoots. I like that. That's your example all the time. The greased up basement gym. <laughs> yeah. That's it. It's still there's still that subculture. Oh out yeah, there, it's you there. Know? Yeah. Now, um, three hundred fifty. How was your pumped level? I mean, like super pumped. Oh, or just we like, were ecstatic. Yeah. This was like, oh my god, we're rich. I think we made like. <laughs> We made like ten or twenty grand in that that second launch. And did you buy like a car? You're like, yes, let's buy a car. Yeah. Oh, we blew all the money so fast. <laughs> Looking back, I'm like, what do we even spend it on? I think I got like, I got a new, really nice piece of furniture from Pier One, Ooh. and I got like all this flashy stuff because again, we were young. I think I was 24 at the time, and the first launch of the ebook, we made only a couple of sales, right? And like one of them was our mom. Yeah. <laughs> right. So this was like the first time and we were hoping to get 10 women. We got over 300. We were like, Oh, we're rich. We made it. We started crying. It was like so silly and so innocent. Oh, that's back. awesome. <laughs> I started. don't think that's silly to me. I think like you make money online. It's like the one of the best. Fe- the first time it's is like one best. of the best feelings ever. It's the best. Cause and it's entrepreneurship like, oh, well, too. Anytime you start a business, yes. usually you frame like online. your first dollar. Right. Right. Yeah. right. It's a big so deal that those first sales. Deal. Yeah. Now, no, you're not going full time though, right? You're still, this is still on the side. Yeah. Still on the side. Um, and that was a, man, I had some grit back then. I would wake up at 5 a.m. just to work on that for an hour before I went to my first job. And then I went to the clinic and then I would come back probably around like five or six every day and work for two or three hours in the evening. So like it was like 5 a.m. up until 8, 9 p.m. every day. I did not have a social life. I chose not to have a social life because I was like, this is more important. What's this? You said this is more important? Like helping money? people. Helping people. So yeah. you just loved the goal, the mission of helping women. I got It's all women, right? There's not men in these classes. It was, yeah, it was all women. All women. There were men in my in-person classes, um, but everything we did online was for women. And I remember at the time, this is funny, I haven't thought about this in so long. I wrote on a post-it because, you know, in the meantime, listening to people like Brian Tracy and all these other, you know, sales and marketing mentors that I learned of from Shalene. And I remember I wrote on a post-it and I put it on my walls so that I would walk by every day that I want one of my goals. This is like my first experience of like true goal setting. I wrote down, I want the blog to make, I think it was $1,000 a month because I was like, if I, if we're making that, and really it would have had to be 2000 a month um, to cover me and my sister. If we're making that, then I replace my rent income, right? So then I can get rid of some of these other jobs and then I can go even more deeper into it. And I saw that every day, probably for like six to eight months before it finally became a reality when we got our stuff together and like really started to think about it as a business and not just a hobby or something we wanted to do to help people. Um, so yeah. Just great. I'm glad we're going back into the recesses of my memories yeah. like this because I haven't thought about this stuff in a long time and it really makes me feel good now because I'm like, wow, I've come a long way. So, so that, was that the origination of the, I guess, super the Super Sister Fitness? fitness. Yeah. SSF. Yeah, we sat down and our first ever YouTube video was actually just, we put, we didn't have fancy gear or anything. We used one of our phones, propped it up on probably five or six different cardboard boxes in our little LA apartment. And we sat down and we recorded this. I still have, the video's still up there, I think. Um, and we said, hey, we're, who are you? That was like, the video opens, it's like, who are you? Because we had just had, we had a little business meeting. And it was like, we need to name this something that's memorable. Otherwise, we're just another person in the sea of people trying to do this and so at all the gyms we worked at everybody knew us as the sisters in UCLA especially like we were always known as the sisters so we were like it's gotta have it was either it had to have sisters in it because that was a differentiator we were like okay so what's an you know a memorable 
like how can we use alliteration here <laughs> like we really don't have a whole lot of options it's either the six-pack sisters or our super sisters we're like we don't want to have the pressure of having to have a six-pack let's go with super sisters <laughs> even though it sounds dumb and whatever but it's memorable like you hear that and you're like okay what's that you know so we that's where the name came from is and we recorded the whole thing it's still there it's very cringy it makes me want to throw up when i watch those videos back in the day but probably it's endearing still, it's kind of i mean first yeah. steps yeah yeah, yeah. It'll be good. Now It'll you work with your sister through all of this. I think working with a partner anytime can be challenging. A sister, I think, could be more or less. Was it? How was it working? How was that relationship with you and your sister? What was it, Sarah? I was doing. Yes, Sarah. It was great. Uh, for the first three or four years, it was great. It was wonderful. We were on the same page. We were seeing growth. We were doing all the things that you know we worked really hard to do. Um, but about year five, I think it was either year five or six, um, she met a man and started dating this guy who quickly became her fiance. well not quickly it was like eight eight to 12 months later they got engaged and then there was like this third party that was always with us like and it, originally it was great because he would help us film things and take photos and do someone all to stuff. hold the camera right it was like <laughs> we had instagram a, yeah we had an instagram husband <laughs> already <laughs> and then over time you know they started planning out their future and wanting to do something else and, and you're uh, like where's my room Right, exactly. So that got really difficult there for a while when they eventually decided that they were going to start. They wanted to live van life. They had seen this trend on YouTube rising of van life. And they were like, we want to do that. Like, we want to go travel and see the U.S. And, you know, we have the freedom and flexibility to do it. So we're going to start building towards that. And I was like, okay, great. At first, I was like, yeah, no problem. Let me know if you need a camera woman. (laughs) (laughs) And then over time, they started getting more and more serious and seeing more traction. They started a separate brand, separate YouTube channel, all that. They, They first actually, they built their own van. So they took a Sprinter van. They lived in my parents' house for, I think it was like six to eight months. They bought the Sprinter van and they asked my dad to help them figure out how do we, how do we flip this van? Cause you know, he's custom contractor for like 45, 50 years. And so he helped them build the first van, taught, both of them, everything he knows, especially uh, my sister's husband. And um, then they they took it on the road and made content for a year. And at that point, when they were ready to leave, they were like, okay, yeah, so we're going to go do this. And good luck. We love you. And I was like, wait, what? So you were working. I mean, at some point you had quit your job probably. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the time I quit my job was when I got a sign. Uh, we had entered into, Shalene was doing some like Instagram challenge or something she was this was like early early instagram so obviously it's super changed now and she still helps people with instagram so if you ever need help with reels or all that definitely check her out she has some great trainings there but this was in the first couple of years of instagram she did this challenge where it was like hey do this like create a picture of this pose and i'm going to choose a couple winners and those winners will get a shout out and she was like growing really quickly at this time um probably had like 60 to seventy thousand followers now she's like i don't even know half a million over a million somewhere in there um, but this is while she was on her come up and this was one of the things she was doing cause it worked really well. It was like, Hey, we'll do this little challenge. And then whoever wins gets a shout out and people in her audience really wanted that. So we saw that we did it and she ended up picking our picture and we were like, Oh my God, I can't believe this. Shalene just gave us a shout out. Like we were so excited. And then she reached out to us and she was like, Hey girls, I really love your brand. Cause we put a lot of effort into making our photos beautiful. This was back when it was photos only. And she was like, I really love your brand. I would love to use it as an example in one of my Instagram trainings. Are you okay with that? And we're like, oh my God, like literally almost fainted on the floor. Like here's my fitness career idol. And now she's like texting me what is going on. And so, yeah, that's kind of how that 
really at that point when Shaleen texted me, I was like, okay, this is a sign. Like I'm supposed to do something with Quit this. my job. Yeah. <laughs> I'm quitting. Them. All the jobs. I made it big. <laughs> <laughs> I've actually told her that story and years later and she finds it very sweet and yeah. very cute, very cute. So how did that make you feel when Sarah left? Did it, was that the oh, end of the super sisters? Yeah. For a little while. I mean, not, not truly the end. It, it kind of phased out over the next like year and a half, almost two years. I kept it going. Um, and then it was that, just you posting videos. Yeah. Uh, yes. Did you so, split the money? Well, I have, oh, this is some big questions. Yes. So I want to break, it down. break so it down. She and her husband went off to do the van life thing and they were, they are still doing that by the way. And they just last year across the seven figure mark with oh, that business. So same van doing very well. Um, they have gone through probably two or three different vans of their own at this point, but they're on van build number 26 now and oh, they have, yeah. I think they have like almost a two year waiting list. Oh, so they're building, they're building vans, vans for other people. That's one okay. branch of their business now is they do van flips for people that don't want to do it themselves. So they have, they even have a shop. Like yeah, I'll take you guys down there. It's here in Boise. Oh, um, okay. Yeah. It's a huge shop. It's really on cool. location. We'll record on location. <laughs> yeah. So the transition of that was very difficult. My sister, she just, it was clear like you're done and I wanted to be happy for her. Of course, this is my sister and, you know, she found her the man of her dreams or whatever and all that. But at the same time, like there's the other side of me was like, how could you do this to me? Like, I thought we were building this to, you know, build this forever. Like I didn't have the same plan to not do it anymore. So that was a very dark time. And in the in the transition, she took more than half the assets and left me with 100 percent of the debt. And we were young, young 20s. So we didn't really understand taxes or any of that stuff at the time. And it was a lot of debt. Cause we didn't, we didn't file our taxes. Right. These are all things that, you know, looking back, I'm like, wow. Okay. How much Wait, you said that very much? casually. That's to me, sounds like a relationship breaker. Oh, it was. So we didn't talk for like a year after that. So you were pissed. I was very upset. Yeah. Now and how, I mean, obviously you could have sued, but you're not going to do that. Of course, yeah. No, I wouldn't sue my own family. Right. So it was like, okay, this sucks, but you just like, whatever, thought about it, but it was it. That was how it was. Well, uh, really the transition really cemented itself at her wedding. So at her wedding is when I, it was, it's like so confusing looking back because on the one hand, this was like amazing opportunity. On the other, it was like so heartbreaking and such a sad experience. Um, I had applied for YouTube used to run this contest called the next up contest. And I had applied our channel for it. We were, I think we were at like 50 or 60,000 subscribers at that point. And I applied for this thing that I saw through a YouTube newsletter or whatever, and we ended up winning. We, um, well, we, I, I guess I was the one that did the application. So, but she was won the still contest. around, but really not checked in. Right? Yeah, she hadn't made content for like at least six months at that point. It was just me. But she still was getting checks. Uh, no. Okay. No. So when she left, she emptied out the bank account, but then didn't pay any of the tax liabilities and other things that were were due. Right. So that's kind of what happened, and then. We were at in we went back to Michigan for their wedding, and um, she, <laughs> I told her I was like super excited. I was like, "Hey, you know, won this contest. Like, part of what you get to do is go fly to the YouTube space in Los Angeles, and basically go through Accelerated Film School. Um, they bring in YouTube employees, Google experts, you know, actual creators that are much bigger than you to teach you all the things you need to know about how to grow the channel and be more successful." And I was one of three fitness channels that was there that kind of like broke us up into pods. So there was music channels, there was fitness channels, there was beauty, there was, you know, all the different verticals. And I was one of three fitness channels and everybody else, all, the two other fitness channels were like way bigger. So I, I like was very excited about this. I was like, I can't believe I did it. 
Um, and I really wanted her to come with me and she was like, yeah, but I have my, my wedding stuff to get ready for. And, you know, originally she was like, oh yeah, that's awesome. Like, let's go. And then we're like coordinating the actual logistics and she backed out because she had a hair issue that she wanted to fix before her wedding. And like, to me, I was like, okay, well, it's clear where the priorities are, you know? And I was like kind of the final nail in the coffin. I was like, all right, well, I'm going to go. So I went by myself and part of what they also gave us was they, they had certain amounts of money that they, you know, I can't remember the exact amount, but they gave us a bunch of money to buy equipment and upgrade whatever we wanted. So, um, I remember I was calling her to sort out the money that YouTube gave us and she was like, Oh yeah, I want this camera. And I'm like, okay, great. But can you just promise me that you're going to use the camera to like actually film content for this channel, this finished channel? And she's like, yeah, totally. And then, so she gets this really super nice camera and still to this day, she hasn't filmed a single fitness video with it, which that was a hard pill to swallow. Cause I'm like, I'm doing all this work over here trying to keep this dream alive. And like, it's just so clear you don't care anymore and that's fine. But also the way you're going about this feels very hurtful. So we didn't talk for, I don't know, a solid six months to a year after that, like at all. And this is my sister. She, she and I shared a room growing up. I'd never not spoken to her every day of every day of my life. So it was a very, very painful transition. And you know, the space though was needed. I went on, I went off to go travel because we had a lot of, we sold membership sites and the eBooks, right. And we had brand deals and sponsorships and we had AdSense revenue and all the stuff. So like, I didn't, I didn't really have to work at the time. Um, so I decided to take a little bit of time off and go travel. So I went to Thailand, I went to Peru, I went to all these places. And that's actually when the next thing I was supposed to do came up because I didn't want to Wait, force before we get to the next thing yeah. question so your sister may listen to this how are you guys feeling i mean is she going to be mad that you just said all this stuff oh no this is the truth we've talked we've we're beyond this now okay yeah. okay i was just saying she just has trying to remember own. if i'm going to go through it and cut this yeah. out or not. <laughs> no you don't need to cut this out she she and i are totally good now we right. um i did a leadership emotional intelligence training and one of the exercises i did in that was like hey tell the story of the the time someone hurt you the worst and you're doing this in dyads right so you have a partner and so you tell the story of what happened and it's very similar to what i'm telling you now and then they give you like two minutes or whatever and then you go back and you tell the same story as if you're the other person right as if you caused it right like what did you do in this situation and the person the partner that you were with was supposed to stand up if they believed you. So she stood up after I told my version. And then she also stood up after I told the version where I'm the aggressor and the villain in the story. And that was like a turning point realization for me where I was like, holy crap, like, all right, it's up to me what I choose to interpret this meaning as. And after that, I called my sister after like, I don't even know how many months of not speaking. And I just said, hey, I'm sorry. And I love you. And I know I played a role in everything that went down. And you're my sister, and I just want to move forward. And she was like, oh, I'm so glad you called. I feel the same way. And so we're, we're good now. Good. Um, it's actually way better. I, I would not want to work with her again. <laughs> um, I love her, but, it, but not want to work with her. It, <laughs> but, I mean, Liz, it, it talks to having a partner. Having a partner, sorry, and, and you add the familiar portion to it, it adds yeah. another level. But having a partner in general, because their plans, when you first start a project, you never know where their plans are going to go versus yeah. where yours are. Yeah, it's very it was very difficult uh, moving forward. I will probably not have partners again, um, unless you know it's like partnering on a YouTube channel where it's like okay, it's we're like one project kind of yeah, thing. yeah, like one isolated thing. But for business, I'm good on partnerships. Yeah, Brandon, make a note. 
we're going to have an episode at some point talking about partnership and businesses. To, yeah. At some point. It's tough. Yeah. It's tough. Anyway, so moving Chile, on. Peru. No, not Chile. No, Peru, Peru. Thailand. Thailand. Peru. That's right. I and then the China. next big thing. China. A bunch of places. When you said you took a little bit of time off, does that mean it was months? like yeah, it was like eight months, maybe ten months. Oh, that's that's not a little bit. I it mean, was, it was a long time. I was just all over. Was all? Were all did you have eight months of videos scheduled, or are you just like oh, well. I had quite a few scheduled, yeah. Um, but with YouTube, with videos specifically, like most of the rev. So what happened when she left? I was like, okay, I lost half the you know content creator, <laughs> half the business. Just the talent just walked out the door. So I did an audit on where do all our sales come from? Where is the most bang for the buck? Like where do we put the most time in? What's the ROI on those things? I did an audit of all the income streams all of where my time is going, realized YouTube and Pinterest, even though I spent the least amount of time on them at the time, um, cause I was on Instagram every day, you know, doing the whole rat race scroll lifestyle. Do you uh, know that Brandon, the rat race scroll? I don't know what she means. Well, I mean, you're just scrolling on Instagram trying to keep up, right? Isn't yeah. that what you're talking about? Uh, yeah. yeah. It's you like, mean? you gotta okay. go mass volume with social media because it's like, it's not really evergreen. Like you have yeah. maybe 48 hours for something to go viral and that's it. And if it doesn't, then big waste of time you know because you can't search that's really you can't search a, a, a query of images whereas google or youtube you can search and find right. those videos anytime okay. yeah mm -hmm. so youtube and pinterest it was like whoa we get we make the most money from these how, how am i just now realizing this in year four or five right like i probably should have done that long time ago but yeah it was um it was like okay well i haven't even posted content on there in a long time how are we getting so much traffic and sales from these platforms when we're not active on them and that's when i learned about search engine optimization and evergreen content versus the social media scroll and all of that and i was like okay all right yeah i'm gonna invest more in time into youtube because it's clearly working the best and that's at that time i was like okay cool let's get some brand deals going I was very religious with weekly content, um, but I was also traveling, so I would bring. So you'd you'd record as you were traveling. Yeah. Okay. I so brought still cameras working. and everything. Yeah. Did all that. Um, sometimes it was hard to find good spaces to film in when you're on the road, but um, still was very kept up with it and had a lot of content in the queue before I even left. So, um, yeah, at that point, I was posting about my travels, and a bunch of people were asking, like, how. What do you what do you what are you up to these days? Like how are you just traveling around? Looks like you're always having a great time. I'm like, yeah, I am I am, but yeah, it's YouTube, you know? And so the follow up question to that was always, Well, how do you grow a channel? How do you monetize a channel? And I'm like, Huh, I'm getting this question a lot. Maybe I should do a beta test group and see if this is something I can teach people how to do. And that was all that was about three years ago at this point. So it just became very clear after I ran a quick beta group I think I had like 20 people in the first thing just to teach them the basics like here's what you do here's what matters blah 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 here's all the things I learned from YouTube directly um and I just really haven't stopped since because <laughs> it was so clear that like okay this is not only fun but it's extremely profitable when you do it right then did you come back to California when you were done traveling yeah I did I think I did yeah, I lived in L.A. and then San Diego for a little while after that. And then what brought you to Idaho? Uh, well, in the mean t in that transition, my sister and her husband moved up to Idaho. Mm -hmm. So they were living in Coeur d'Alene for a while, and then they moved back to down here to Boise um, to nest, right? They bought a house, and they wanted to have kids and all that, and they, they have two boys now, so they're doing great. Um, and so I had visited them a few times, and then when the pandemic hit in early 2020, I just got this, like, gut instinct, like, I don't know how weird this is going to get, but if it gets weird, like really weird, I would like to be around natural resources and out of these cities. 
And so came up to, you know, I'd been to Idaho. The only, my only concern was like, is the winter really bad? Like Michigan? Cause I don't want to go back to that. Is it? It's not. It's, it's not very right? temperate. Winters. It's way temperate. I mean, yeah. you get snow, but it's not like four feet of snow where you can't get out of yeah, your house. Yeah. Day. yeah. yeah. Um, so I experienced Christmas, a Christmas in Boise. And I was like, this isn't bad at all. And I hadn't seen snow in like, I don't know, 12, 13 years. And I was like, wow, this is actually really magical. <laughs> I just had such a different perspective of yeah. it. And yeah, cost of living, getting the business out of California. You know, I'm just starting as I get older, just making smarter moves with my money. I don't know why I had my business in California to begin with. I guess just, I just. Beach, you said people can live by the beach. Yes. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah. Now, now we're having very different conversations over the dinner table in my yeah. family's house. So I'm, I'm assuming though that did the pandemic help your business because. Oh yeah. People yeah. Stay yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. I think uh, I was reading an article that YouTube just put out. I think it was a, uh, basically an instant 30% increase across the board huh. of viewership on YouTube that they experienced over uh, the pandemic. So yeah, when all that went down, I was like, all right, got to get out of California, that's for sure. And then massive influx, like all the channels that I was helping, I just saw all their analytics just pew, through the roof. Yeah. So There's an argument that great. we talked about a while ago that did the pandemic push forward trends that were happening five years, right? Like would yeah, the viewership sure. have gone up over time and been there? Did it just fast forward it or what did it cause a spike? And it sounds like with YouTube, it just kind of fast forwarded it and... Yeah, it's stabilized it. out a little bit more now, but then there's also new new creators coming on the platform all the time. Yeah. And, you know, it's kind of just like it's always, it's going to be ever evolving. So really just check in if you have YouTube on your heart, if it's something you've wanted to do, like that's not in your heart by accident. So, you know, I don't know. Because you can't keep up with a constant changing trends or new, all, all that stuff. Like it's always going to be changing and evolving because that's who we are as humans, you know? Right. So, yeah, the pandemic was uh, interesting, interesting times. So a question on Vidfluence moving forward. What do you what do you want to accomplish? Oh, this is a great question. So my goal is to actually currently what, I'm, what we're working on is a group program, a group coaching program so that instead of doing, you know, these one on one projects, we're taking on 20 to 100 people at a time and teaching them what we do on a much deeper level. So I've been very busy building out the content, the strategies, the templates, all that kind of stuff for replicating what I now know to be able to train someone else so that they can be independent of us. Because as of right now, the offers that I put together, it's very much like you need me to keep helping you. And I don't want it to be like that. One of the very clear messages that I got from God, source, whatever you want to call it, is that if I because here's the thing is like at that crossroads that juncture of do I keep going with this health and fitness business or do I move into the YouTube space it was it became very clear to me and I got a very clear message of like yes you can keep doing the health and fitness stuff but you as one individual can only impact so many lives if you are able to teach other people how to also do that you can have that butterfly effect right so like now I can train the experts here's how you do this here's how you make what your message is go 100x bigger than what it is now and if you have a good message and you have integrity and you're really working to make the world a better place that's actually the first qualifier that we have I had a you mentioned uh, pickup artist type content right I had someone come to me last week and you know they were wanting help and they didn't make the cut because the content that they were putting out there was like low-key just cyberbullying. I was like just very shallow it's not going to make the world a better place and that's like the first qualifier 
Because if you're not on the same mission of helping people and doing good in the world, then, you know, we're not going to help you. Take so. that, suckers. My, video, my channel made it. <laughs> Jordan <laughs> yeah. made it. Jordan made it because he's, he's right. good. He's so. doing good. <laughs> <laughs> he did. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So my goals and my mission is to empower as many people as I can with the information that I know because YouTube has the power to literally change lives. I know because it changed my life in multiple ways. I've seen it change my clients' lives. I've seen it change my sister's life. And it really gives people, it's kind of twofold. It gives people permission to be themselves and really like put the weirdness, like crank the weirdness up, like all the quirky things about you, what makes you unique, like incorporate that because the right people will find that and they'll love that about your channel and your content. And then on the other side, it gives you freedom and choice once you hit a certain tipping point like you have you literally can do whatever you want you look at channels like some of the biggest youtubers in the world like mr beast i mean he has more money than probably all of us right and he chooses to continuously give it all away like people ask him you know why don't you get the nice house and the nice cars and all the stuff he's like eh, it's kind of boring he just sleeps in the studio doesn't he i think yeah, he just lives he in the studio a yeah. small apartment and you know typical normal guy and he's like he's literally obsessed with seeing people's faces light up and seeing them be happy with having the things that he's able to give them. Like that's what drives him. And that's so cool. Like where else do you have an industry or a platform where that's the core motivator of the most successful people on the platform is like, they literally just wanted to make the world a better place and they wanted to help people. And part of what I love most about YouTube, and this is really why I chose YouTube outside of, you know, the business, the revenue, the ROI and all that. I chose YouTube because every YouTuber that I've met has, they have some sort of shared value there. It's like, we're creating, we're not consuming, we're creating, we're trying to help people lift them out of, even if it's just by making them laugh, you know? And I, I've never experienced that anywhere else. I'd go to digital marketing conferences, tech conferences, all that. And it's like, it's just kind of like, you know, you're in a room around people that it just feels like they're a little dead inside. Like, did you forget your heart? But YouTube's opposite. YouTube's like, everybody has heart, you know? So I just found, I really found my people there. That's awesome. What do you see Vidfluence in, you know, five or six or seven years? What do you, have you thought, do you have plans for that far out? Or is it just take it as it comes and keep going? Um, right now, we're heavily focusing on next year's goals, which is to get this program done. And then what that will do is free up my time so that I can, uh, the plan is to, instead of doing consulting work, like what you and I did together, Jordan, um, to actually partner with two channels a year. So finding people that have all the talent, have the, you know, the it factor, right? Like, it's really easy for me to identify like, oh yeah, you're going to do really well. Um, this channel, maybe not so much. I even told you that when we were working together, it's like, this is this channel's never going to have size, but if you want leads and sales, like yes, we can, right. we can definitely optimize for that. Um, but the channel itself, like it's not going to ever grow to the Mr. Beast size. I mean, probably right? pretty close. <laughs> I mean, maybe in the text space, you'll be the Mr. Beast of the text space. <laughs> That's right. Um, so yeah, it's it's pretty easy to identify. And what I want to do is take two people a year and partner with them. Like actually, this is the only, again the only time I'll ever do partnerships again. Is like, hey, we will help you with all of this you just be who you are and let us help you amplify it so we're going to be moving into channel partnerships soon um i want to also start building out some faceless channels because you know knowing what i know about revenue and adsense revenue and the evergreen nature of it and all that you know my this is kind of my retirement plan is just have like anywhere from 10 to 30 different faceless channels <clears throat> that all make money 
you know, in an evergreen way that the money just shows up once you get the content up. So a faceless channel. Can you define that for <laughs> I had to ask that us? question too. Yeah. yeah I'm so excited. this is a good one. Faceless channels are basically like topic channels. You've seen them before guaranteed. It's like the motivation content channels. Um, <clears throat> there's also, you know, music channel, like medit- study music, study music, like lo-fi girl. That's a faceless channel. It's just literally like you take, um, a topic, right. That, you know, is, has a potential to have massive traction, massive volume, massive reach. And you just optimize it so that it actually does that. And then you, you make AdSense revenue. So there's no person in the videos. It's like either voiceovers doing like listicle, like here's, here's 10 places you should eat in Italy when you visit or here's, oh, I've seen right. those. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, okay. and, I mean, she knows the ones that have high, con- high search right. volume right. and then she can hire editors, whatever, and provide, Hey, this is what the content needs to be. And they go and they make it. Yeah. And then she can do that, scale that. I could do that a hundred times, right? you know, and just have own all those channels, maybe yeah. even sell them. Although I shouldn't say that on here because I think that's against the terms and service. Well, so interestingly <laughs> enough, I did, YouTube, re- I did read an article about a company that was investing in, buying videos uh popular videos from different channels just videos yeah just videos because they'll they'll say okay well if we buy a video for a million dollars and keep it it can stay on that channel but we get the interesting and how they do that and maybe that's yeah and that was the right it's the the rights so like licensing rights copyright yeah yeah Hmm. so i thought that was interesting and it gave a way for the creators to kind of cash out yeah it's it's diffusing their 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 risk, right? Right. Well, they, they cash out uh, on that video and they say, well, I already made a bunch of money on that video. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, I make a, another pile of money. And then these companies just kind of continue to grow that content. Anyway, that's kind of interesting. Now, well, cool. Liz, let's say you had a customer that had an insurance agency. What should they make a YouTube channel? Yeah. I like the one we're sitting in right now. Well, I mean, <laughs> I guess we are in an yeah. insurance studio. Oh, what? Right? Oh, oh yeah. crazy. Yeah. Yeah. What, what would you say to a company like, like mine or anybody else that's looking to... It's not a tech space. Um, you know, your customers, I mean, they use the internet like anyone else, but yeah, that's, a, that's that's the question. Should they make a channel? I mean, why not? You know, I think for something like insurance companies, getting really clear, there's kind of two strategies that I would recommend for insurance companies. One would be the SEO stuff, right? Because obviously if the core goal is getting leads and sales, mm-hmm. you've got to have a presence in in the SEO space when people, when the actual customer is typing in, you know, how do I file a claim? Cause my roof's destroyed or how do I, you know, do whatever you should have a help library of content like that, that can feed them into, okay, book a call here. Right. Um, but you don't want to stop there because then you run the risk of becoming a resource channel, right? Where it's like people come, they get the answer and then they leave and they don't care who told them. It's like, think of your own user behavior. If you need to f- figure out, you know, how to, build a you know gaming console or something in your in your new studio like you go and you look up little tips but you don't really care who's giving you that information there's no real meaningful relationship between you and the the viewer so they leave and they don't come back and a big part of growing youtube channels uh from a views and subscribers and engagement perspective is is not just getting people to watch one video and leave. It's getting them to watch another video and another video and another video youtube's algorithm is built to predict what is this particular viewer going to want to watch tomorrow mm-hmm. and how do we provide that such a positive user experience that they come back tomorrow and the next day and the next day and the next day so they're looking at like eight over 80 billion different data points per user to make those decisions on what to serve up in the different places where where people find videos right the home page suggests a video and youtube search 
So um, that would be one side of it is definitely create a help library for some of the most common, most searched for things that are relevant to the market that you're interested in working with. And then the other side of it is to think about your YouTube videos as entertainment. So you look at the biggest insurance companies in the world and look at the commercials. You know, those are multi-million dollar budgets on those commercials. It's like 30 seconds and it's entertaining. Like the ones that have some element of entertainment in them do super well. The little Geico lizard that we all know, right? Um, the little like crazy the, what's the progressive lady like they flow. have characters and they have entertainment yeah flow like, yeah well and, are you met flow no and, and side note on flow so we sell a lot of progressive insurance here and um i've been to some conferences with progressive and i talked to the marketing reps and and they'll say without a doubt that when flow was introduced their sales like Through went up a lot skyrocketed yeah. and to the point where flow has this own like team and she's very protected and you're you're not on the pay grade where you can meet flow <laughs> sorry brandon you don't get to meet flow. no i don't get to meet flow they don't get to meet flow they're like a couple of people ahead of them don't get to meet flow i mean it's a big deal for them you could like, be flow for your business i mean okay, maybe not yeah. you exactly well i just but. i do think it's interesting i mean talking about insurance company ads they'll have three or four campaigns with like cavemen and flow and all those yeah, different the things characters going on. Yeah. Yeah, yeah the characters and the entertainment factors of that are what are memorable and also what build meaningful relationships and make them trust you more yeah. so like um i'll give you an example of one of my my, my mentor now daryl eaves he uh is him and the Harmon brothers came up with the squatty potty ad with the pooping unicorn. I don't know if you guys yes. have seen that. Yes. Yeah, they're the dude. Harmon brothers right? have yeah. ton, tons yeah, of yeah. like viral. They type, do like right? purple yeah. mattress. Yeah. Like the right, Harmon brothers right, right. did that one too. But all of them are in part of that process of figuring out like, what is the thing? Cause success was the only choice. So obviously they have Daryl's like literally one of the most brilliant men I've ever met in my life. And uh, if not the most brilliant, but he, he, for weeks leading up to that was researching who's the target viewer. So what happened with Squatty Potty is they, and he talks about this in his book, the YouTube formula. If you want to go deeper, I highly recommend that you guys read it. Um, tons of additional resources in there to help you make sense of YouTube. But they, he spent weeks researching the viewer. So step one is figure out who am I making this content for? What was going on with Squatty Potty is their core user, right? Core customer was seniors. People, you know, Squatty Potty helps you. It's like ergonomic toilet time right? so their core audience or their core customer base was seniors and they had pretty much like tapped that out over the last several years and we're trying to figure out how do we get in front of the you know the biohackers the younger audiences and how do we move into a younger generation and so um, they got the Harmon brothers and Daryl on board and Daryl spent weeks in Reddit forums actually uh, with the type of biohacker younger generation you know younger millennials uh, just researching the psychographics. So not just looking at the demographics of who do you want, you know, the, I want 25 to 40 in the U S and Canada, like all the boring stuff. You've also got to look at the psychographics, which is again, why do people do what they do? What are their fears, their values, their triggers, their beliefs, all of those psychological aspects that go into the split second decisions that they're making in the day-to-day life that they live and so he spent weeks in reddit forums and uh with biohackers and he found this like sub sub subreddit of a my little pony uh community of biohackers that also really liked my little pony things and he talks about this in his book it's really interesting and that's where the idea for the pooping unicorn in the squatty potty came from and the rest is history you know it's like one of the greatest ads of all time still yeah. making tons of money um i have a couple follow-up questions yeah. For you, Liz. Okay, so looking back, you have an incredible story, and I'm sure much is left to be written still in your career and your future. But looking back, what would you change? 
professionally wise, what would you change? What would you do different? Um, I would hire a really good accountant on day one. That's number one. <laughs> Get your finances. That's like not you what you want to hear. Taxes, right? You mentioned the taxes. Yeah, that's not what, what anybody wants to hear. But yeah, I would hire a really good accountant from day one. Um, also, I, yeah, I, I mean, that's a tough question. What would I change? That's really the core thing is like hire someone to help you figure out money because sooner than you know it, like you could end up making a lot of money. And then if you don't have all the bells and whistles in place, you can end up, you know, in some really tight spots, which I have a few times. So I think that would be the, the main thing. So just somebody to stop you from buying the couch up here. One. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so, <laughs> Hi, hire an adult. <laughs> hire an adult. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Get yourself a good grandma who can help you with taxes. There you go. You know? So another question I have is if you were going to counsel somebody coming out of college or out of high school that wants to go into their own thing or do their own thing, what would you, rec- you know, what would you tell them? Yeah. Uh, figure out what you love, but also where the needs are. I think sometimes people will say, just follow your passions. And then it's like, well, yeah, but I'm broke. <laughs> so it's kind of peanut butter and jelly, right? Like if you only follow your passion, it's like you might as well just put peanut butter on the bread and you're going to end up choking on this dry sandwich. You need to also have the jelly, which is like, what do other people need? So all the business is just solving people's problems. And when you can match up what you like doing with being able to help solve solve problems for other people on a, on a bigger scale than just yourself or your local community. That's when you start to really unlock, you know, new levels of profit, fulfillment, happiness, freedom, all the things that I think are really embedded in the human spirit. So, yeah, that's good advice. Certainly. I know that I think that point where what you love and what, where people need the Venn diagram, right? It's the overlap. Well, certainly that Venn diagram or the convergent there is where a lot of value happens and where a lot of success happens. And I think, if you, you can't, you really can't have just one without the other. If you're going to be, make it, I guess, successfully later on. Well, this has been great having you yeah. on. Yeah. Really appreciate you. it. Thanks Thank so you. much for coming. Um, it was a fortuitous, you just happened to be here in Boise. Way yeah. better to have this in person. So For sure. Thank yeah. you so much for having me. Thanks, Liz. It was an incredible story. If you want to hear more or learn more about Liz, you can visit her on our website at vidfluence.com. Uh, V-I-D-F-L-U-E-N ce.com you can also search her on instagram or any social platform by uh, liz does video and so that can be a website that but you can search that and find out more from her um, and that's it thanks for listening to the founders podcast be sure to follow the host on twitter search at jord b hansen and at brandon minor to discuss more Also, be sure to visit thefounderspod.com to join the conversation, access the show notes, and discover our fantastic bonus content.